Luke 17. Luke 17, the Lord is still teaching us about prayer this morning. This is the Agony of Victory, part 6. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the attitude of thanksgiving as it pertains to prayer. Very, very important. Doctrinally speaking, biblically speaking, very important concept that we need to grasp this morning. By the way, I want to share with you a couple praise reports concerning prayer and uh, this church. You guys remember our little missionary over in China right now. Uh, Her name is Sarah. She's there for three years. We've been praying for her all kinds. And last Friday night, we had a night for the nations where we just get together for a couple hours and pray for our missionaries and for the nations. And she emailed this week. And it's fun when she emails because she's a missionary in a, a closed country. So she can't just email and say, praise the Lord, everybody. The mission is going great. And thanks for your prayer. She can't say that because we know for a fact that the government monitors her emails. And so it's all sort of code language. It's very fun. But she let us know this week that she just said, have you guys been praying for me? I know the church has been praying because I just feel sustained by the power of God, just blessed by the power of God. And there's just doors opening and God is moving. And she just testified, I know you guys are praying for me. So that's a praise report and you ought to give God glory. Amen. That should build your faith as we've been talking about prayer for the last five weeks. Another one is, you know, our missionary over in Indonesia, Luke. Well, the last week, Luke fell horribly ill. Um, In fact, deathly ill. They were saying he was on his deathbed, literally. And we got an email, and the church began to pray, and we let many of you know, and you guys started to pray. And he woke up the next morning with a full recovery, feeling 100%. And it's absolutely the Lord. It's absolutely the Lord. And then also, East Africa, we're connected to some ministries in East Africa and some people ministering among the Maasai tribe there. And they've been enduring a horrible drought. Um, Livestock is dying. Crops are, are destroyed. Children are dying because of this drought. And not last Sunday, but the one before, we were talking about cultivating a heart for others and standing in the gap for others and praying for God to have mercy and do amazing things. And, and God really moved on the heart of a couple of our missionaries that were in East Africa, but they're back now, and just began to break their heart for the lack of rain. And they just started to cry out to God right here uh, in the service during the worship time and just asked the Lord to bring rain, uh, told many of other people in the congregation, there were others around the world praying. And that night, it started to rain, and it has rained for a week straight in East Africa. Praise God. And three things that are significant and wonderful about that. Number one, God is so good, he knows exactly how to answer prayers the right way. It's a gentle rain that's been falling now for over a week. Not a torrential rain which would, you know, wash stuff away and cause a flood and mudslides and and really be hurtful after a drought. But just a gentle rain for a week and the land just started to sprout and bloom. And uh, another thing that's wonderful is that um, the church over there, uh, led by a Maasai tribesman, got together and they were in front of the whole community just praying. They got together a bunch of church leaders and praying and asking the Lord to send rain in the name of Jesus. And the witch doctors were watching this prayer take place. And when it began to rain, the witch doctors in that village said, this rain is from your God. And they recognized that. Give God the glory. 
Uh, they knew that because it's early rain. It's still not the rainy season over there. So it really is miraculous that the drought has ended. And I hope that your faith is encouraged this morning concerning prayer as we press on and talk more about prayer today. Let's pick it up in Luke chapter 17. And we'll start reading in verse 11. It says, And it came about while Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem that he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a certain village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when Jesus saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, the feet of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were not there ten who were cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Look at the story that takes place. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He meets 10 lepers. Now, it would make sense that the lepers were together because nobody else would hang out with lepers in that day. I mean nobody. It was considered to be a very infectious disease. People were terrified, it, uh, terrified of it. And it was really one of the worst things in the land at that time. And if you had leprosy, you were not allowed to see your family. The moment that you begin to show signs, they quarantined you from your family, your community, your work, and everyone else. And if you begin to show a sign, you could kiss that intimacy with friends and family goodbye. And you are now an outcast because people were just downright scared to get leprosy at that time. We know some more things medically, but that was the case then. And so these people, uh, the lepers were together, the outcasts of society. I've told you before that when they were walking up to a group of people, they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, and cover themselves, and everyone would part the way. I mean, nobody had anything to do with a leper. And they see Jesus, and obviously they've heard about him. And they say to him, Master, have mercy on us. And the Lord responds. Now, that was a prayer. Master, have mercy on us. And the Lord responds in a very unique way. He tells him here in verse 14, go and show yourself to the priests. Now, why did he do that? He knew what they wanted. They wanted to be healed, cleansed, so to speak. They, they wanted this disease, this infirmity to be gone. And yet Jesus says, now go show yourself to the priests. Why was that? Well, we know from the Old Testament that if a leper was healed, there was a certain sacrifice that was required. And if they were going to be healed, they would have to then offer that sacrifice. And of course, in that Old Testament economy, they had to go through the priest. And so Jesus was saying to them, essentially, go and get ready to offer the sacrifice for a leper that's been cleansed. You will be cleansed. Now notice, that is probably not the way that they wanted their prayer to be answered. They probably just wanted it right there and then. Come on, Lord. Why all this hullabaloo make me go here and do that? Can't you just do it right now? Of course the Lord could do it now. But his ways are not our ways. And sometimes the Lord answered prayers, uh, prayers excuse me, in ways we don't expect. And he said to them, Go show yourself to the priest. Now, at that moment, they had a decision. They could have said in their hearts, No, that's not what I'm asking you, Lord. I just want you to heal me. I'm not going to do that. And they never would have experienced the healing. It was God's will to heal them. But if they refused to respond to the leading of God, they wouldn't have experienced it at that time. But they obeyed the Lord. And it was only when they obeyed that they then experienced the blessing of the healing. There's a great lesson in that church. Please hear it this morning. That when we obey the Lord, we put ourselves in the place of blessing. 
We put ourselves in the place of healing. When we refuse, then we remove ourselves from the good things of the will of God that he wants to do so often in our lives. It's like the man in the synagogue who had a withered hand. You remember the story. And Jesus said to the man, do you want to be healed? He said, yeah. And he said, then stretch forth your hand. Now, he had never stretched forth his hand. It had been withered his whole life. At that moment, he could have said, gosh, Lord, just heal my hand. I've never stretched it forth. I can't stretch it forth. Hello, it's withered. Can't you just heal it? But the Lord said to him, stretch forth your hand. Again, he had the same choice to make. He could have went, no, I can't do it. I've never done it and walked away and missed the blessing and missed the healing. But he responded in faith, and when he stretched forth his hand, he was healed completely. And when the lepers went in obedience to what Jesus said, they were healed completely. The Lord always blesses obedience from Genesis to Revelation. The Lord always blesses at church. And his commandments are not burdensome, it says in 1 John. And so they go... They're healed, but what is interesting, and the thrust of the text for us this morning is this. Though ten were healed, only one took the time to stop, turn around, and go to Jesus and say, Thank you, Lord. In fact, he fell at his feet, and he worshipped the Lord. And Jesus answered in verse 17 and said, Were there not ten who were cleansed but the nine? Where are they? In other words, the Lord seems surprised if we could use that sort of language. He, he, he seems in awe of the fact that though ten received the blessing and were healed, only one came back to give thanks. There are very few times where the Lord is sort of astonished in the Gospels. When he sees faith in Israel, he rejoices. When he sees a lack of faith, the Lord is always amazed at that in the Gospels. And here there's almost a sense of amazement. Wait a minute, I healed ten and only one of you comes back. Listen to me, church. Don't be in the category of the nine. Don't be the one who receives the goodness and the blessings of the Lord, but just because of whatever, you refuse to come back and thank the Lord, to fall down, to worship Him, to give Him gratitude. It is strikingly clear from the beginning of the Bible to the end that thankfulness and an attitude of gratitude toward God are right and good and expected. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Notice the words of what the Bible says there. In everything give thanks. This is very supernatural. Only the Christian could do this, because only the Christian has put his trust in Jesus Christ. And Jesus is the one who says in Matthew 11.28, If you are weary and heavy laden, come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. Only the Christian has put his faith and his trust in the fact that Jesus Christ is in control, that he is a good and a faithful God. And so in everything, we're able to give thanks. In everything. When the Bible says everything, it means everything. Good times and in bad times. For rich or for poor, you know the story. In everything, we give the Lord thanks. Why? Well, according to Romans 8, 28, he's the God that works all things together for good for those who are love, him, love him and are called according to his purpose. Doesn't the Apostle Paul say in Romans chapter 5, we exalt in tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We rejoice and we give thanks even in the hard times, not because they're fun, 
It's not some masochistic weird thing, but because the Lord is good, amen? And we could trust in Him and His faithfulness and goodness. And everybody's always wanting to know, what is God's will for my life? Lord, what is your will? What are you doing? What are you going to do? Show me your will. Here's God's will for you. To give thanks in everything. And I think that we pray amiss when we say, Lord, show me more. And we aren't putting into practice what He's already showed us. Right there is a profound verse. You ought to cling, it for your, cling to it for life. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God for you. And so when there's a question in your life, Lord, what do I do right now? Give thanks. Begin to thank the Lord for the good things he's done in your life, for the good things that he will do, for his character, for his faithfulness, for his goodness. Because when you begin to do that, you get your eyes off yourself and you get them focused on him. And in that is a tremendous amount of freedom. Did you know it's a command of the Bible? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Set your mind on things above, not on the things of this world, but set your mind on the things above. If we get focused too much on the horizontal plane, any one of us could get weighed down with the difficulty of relationships and making ends meet and the tragedies of this world and all that stuff. But we're told in Philippians that our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. That we're just passing through. And so church, set your mind on the things above. Begin to praise and thank the Lord. And when your eyes are focused on Him, circumstances, well, they just don't seem as big. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 says a similar thing. It says that we are to be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Always giving thanks. Colossians 3.17 says a similar thing. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So we see that the attitude, the tone, the tenor of the Christian life is to be one of thanksgiving and praise. And can I just say, for those of you that are concerned about evangelism and being a witness for Jesus, being salt and light in this world, that our greatest witness comes when we're walking in that attitude. That's otherworldly. When we're able to just thank the Lord in good times and in bad times, when we just have that attitude of praise, man, the Lord is so good. Yeah, times are tough right now, and, and I'm going through some stuff, but God is faithful. When you do that, the world looks and they say, what is that? That peace that you're portraying, I don't know that peace. I don't have that peace. What is that? And then you say, well, it's Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. Let me introduce you to him. Amen? So the attitude and the tone and the tenor of the Christian life ought to be one of thanksgiving. And the attitude of prayer, the mindset of prayer, ought to be one of thanksgiving as well. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it, with an attitude of thanksgiving. Devote yourselves to prayer, keep an alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. And again in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And so whenever we come before the Lord in an attitude of prayer, it ought to be preceded by, it ought to start by, it ought to have the aroma of thanksgiving. We ought to approach the Lord in that way. It ought to overflow from our lives and it ought to overflow from our mouths and our hearts when we speak to God. And church, the Lord has been speaking to us about this thing called prayer. 
I believe the Spirit of God is just calling us into a deeper place in our individual prayer lives and in our corporate prayer lives. And we cannot miss this morning's lesson that prayer is predicated upon, it requires, there must be that attitude of thankfulness for our prayers to be effective. I mean, think about all the mighty men of God in the Bible. All the mighty men of prayer in the Bible and throughout church history. They were men who overflowed with thanksgiving and praise. For example, Daniel. We've been talking a lot about Daniel the last six weeks. Daniel was an incredible man of God, an incredible man of prayer. And we read about him in Daniel 6.10. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God. Can I just say in all humility, in all gentleness, in all sincerity, don't raise your hand. But how many of us, three times a day, get on our knees and kneel before the God of the universe and say, God, thank you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for my health. Thank you that I have a roof over my head. Thank you, God, that there's food in my stomach. Thank you for my wife. Thank you for my children. Thank you for my husband. Thank you for my salvation. Thank you that you've saved me, that you've pulled my feet out of the miry clay and you've put them on the solid rock. That you're my foundation and my fortress, my savior, my king, my friend that sticks closer than a brother. Thank you, Lord. How many of us, three times a day, don't respond except in your own hearts before the Holy Spirit? And I don't say that to condemn you. I say that to exhort you to challenge you in a wonderful way because when we read the book of Daniel and the women are studying the book of Daniel on Friday nights right here at 6 p.m., when you study the book of Daniel, you see that God did radical things in that man's life. Radical things. And he was a man of prayer and thanksgiving. Think about David. David was an incredible warrior. He was the greatest king of Israel. He was a singer and a songwriter. He was a musician. He was a, a husband. He was a father. He was a bear killer and a lion killer. All sorts of things that sort of mark David's life. But you know what marks his life the most? Thanksgiving and praise. I mean, he wrote the majority of the Psalms. And you read through the Psalms and you just begin to see there that thanksgiving and praise just overflowed from the heart of this man. God called him a man after his own heart. The apostles, the apostles were mighty men of prayer as well. And we read about them in the book of Acts that they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Paul, Paul was a mighty man of prayer. And how many times in the New Testament we just kind of see on paper his heart bursts forth in definite thanksgiving for definite blessings and definite answers of prayer. And so church, what about you? What about me? What about us individually? I just confess before you as I have the last few weeks that I'm preaching to myself this morning. That in this area of just overflowing with gratitude, man, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to do a work in me. Sometimes I just have a bad attitude. And I could get the Eve complex. You know what the Eve complex is? The Eve complex is, well, it's like Eve in the Garden of Eden. The Lord said to her, you can eat from any of the trees in the garden. And Satan comes along and goes, well, what about this one? The Lord said she could eat of all the trees in the garden except for that one. The Lord said, don't touch that one. It's just one. You have all the other ones. And isn't it just like the enemy to get our eyes off of all the blessings and onto the one thing God has withheld in his wisdom? Anybody know what I'm talking about? The Eve complex. Oh, saints, watch out for it. 
Be on guard. Be on the alert for it. When we just begin grumbling and complaining, and Lord, why this? Why does that happen to me? And well, why is that going on with them? Gosh, I wish that would go on with me. And how come I don't get that? And how come I don't have one of these? And this is so hard. And that person wronged me. And I'm bummed out about this. And they owe me. And I've been ripped off and disenfranchised and disassociated. And I'm disappointed. And the enemy just goes, yes, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. That's right. That's right. And the Lord just goes, hey, wait a minute. Time out. Be like the one leper that stopped and said, hey, this is wonderful. I've been cleansed. I've been made new. I've been redeemed. I've been set aright. I've been given a second chance by the Lord. And stop and thank the Lord and watch what happens in your heart. When you just begin to thank him for his goodness. Jesus displayed this attitude in his own prayer life. Look at the example of Jesus. During the Last Supper in Matthew chapter 26, there, we, we know the story very well about the cup and the bread. Well, when he took the cup, what did he do? It says in Matthew 26, 27, they took the cup and he gave thanks. Just for the smallest provision. Just for that one cup and, of course, the harvest and the goodness of God that it represented. But even Jesus gave thanks to the Father. How much more should you and I? And then we see in Matthew 15, When he was about to feed the multitude, the thousands, there were only a few loaves of bread and only a few fish. And what did the Lord do? The Lord gave thanks, and then the the bread was multiplied and distributed to the many. He needed more, but before he asked, he thanked the Father for what he had. Now, we're all in that situation. There isn't a single one of us here who, in all sincerity and truth, want to say, yeah, I need more. Gosh, Lord, there's some stuff I want you to do in my life. There's some provision that I'm looking for. But the biblical model is to first stop and thank the Lord for what he's already done, for what we already have. That's what Jesus did. And same in John chapter 11. You remember the story, Lazarus was dead, and Jesus was going to raise him from the dead and call him out of the grave. And it says in John eleven forty one. And so they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. Now, before he speaks to the Father concerning the current situation, he thanks the Father for being faithful to hear him in the past. That's a wonderful way to start prayer. Why? It just gets you in the right mindset. Thank you, God, that you always hear me. Thank you that your word says in Revelation 5.8 that my prayers are as golden bowls full of incense. Thank you, Lord, that you've been faithful to every generation. You're not going to blow your reputation on me this day. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness, your gentleness, and your love and your mercy. You see how that then sets the heart and the mind in the right place to begin to pray? And we talked last week about motives. And sometimes, according to James, we can ask amiss. Amiss, excuse me. You have not because you ask not, but you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. You ask amiss. But when we start our prayer lives with thanksgiving and praise and adoration... It really refines the motives. It's sometimes in those times of communing with the Lord and just telling Him how wonderful He is that we get those little heart checks. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, maybe it's just me. But I might be thanking the Lord and get ready to pray and I just realize, man, my heart is so wrong in this situation. Instead of asking the Lord, I end up repenting. But it's that wonderful thing that praise and thanksgiving does of putting us in the right mindset to approach the Lord. And we ought to be very purposeful in this. Very purposeful that when we approach the Lord, we do so 
with thanksgiving and praise. Caution. Not in a ritualistic, religious mindset. Right? We're not trying to impress God. He's not impressed with a facade. Not by any means. He can't be fooled. But with sincerity of heart, it is very biblical. When you come to the Lord, and that's the simplest definition of prayer, just coming to the Lord. When you come to Him, you do so, first of all, with thanks and praise. We are told in Psalm 100, verse 4, that we are to enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise, to give thanks to Him and bless His name. There's that picture of coming to the Lord, entering His gates. Uh, It's, of course, referring to the temple or the tabernacle. And during that time, that's where the presence of God was. And if you wanted to meet with the Lord, experience the Lord, do business with the Lord, sacrifice the Lord, worship the Lord, you had to come there. And as you entered the gates, the protocol for Israel was, okay, Israel, enter his gates with thanksgiving now. Don't come in with a lackadaisical woe is me attitude. You're coming before a holy and a good God. You ought to know that. And so it is for us today that when we come into his presence, We do so with thankfulness. Not that we won't at times be royally bummed out. You know, I lost a dear friend this week. A friend of mine um, died in an airplane crash in Hawaii this week. I'm flying out um, day after tomorrow to go to the funeral. I'm heartbroken over it. He knew the Lord. He was on fire for the Lord. He was involved in ministry. Just an awesome and incredible guy. But it just broke my heart. I wept on my wife's lap this week. Just wept. Just cried until it hurt. And sometimes we come before the Lord that way. But even then, it's always right to say, but Lord, you are good. Lord, I don't understand everything, but you are right. Everything doesn't make sense to me and everything doesn't feel good, but you are a faithful and awesome and merciful God. And I believe you and I thank you for who you are and what you've done. For who you are and what you've done. Notice in Psalm 100 verse 4 that there's a transition from just thanksgiving to then praise. We enter in initially with thanksgiving, but then it says enter his courts with praise. Now the courts is a little further into the, than the gates. It's kind of like we've been marinating in the presence of the Lord. We've been praying for a while. Or we've been worshiping. We've just been communing with the Lord and we're beyond the gates now. We're beyond that initial point of engaging with him and we're in his courts now. Now the courts, that's where Jesus went last week when we studied that passage where he went into the court of the Gentiles and he overthrew the tables of the money changers. And he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And so when we're in the courts, when we're in the presence of the Lord, it ought to be that attitude of prayer, but preceded now by praise. It moves from thanksgiving to praise. And there is a difference between the two. Thanksgiving is saying thank you. But praise means to speak highly of. In the very basic definition, praise means to speak highly of. To say, oh, uh, you know, Tarek, you look look wonderful today, man. You look great. That shirt looks good on you. Really looks good with your skin and your hair. Look at that smile. You're awesome, man. You're just great. I'm praising him right now. That's what it means to praise. And it even goes a step further in the Bible. Uh, One of the primary words for praise used throughout the Old Testament is halal. It's where we get our word hallelujah. Halal Yah. Yah is a word for God in the Old Testament. Really, when we say hallelujah, we think that we're saying um, we're praising the Lord, but really it's a command to praise the Lord. Did you know that? When we say hallelujah, we're really saying literally, you better praise the Lord. 
That's what that means. Isn't that cool? But halal, that Hebrew word, at its core, it means to boast. To boast. And so halal, yah, hallelujah, means to boast in the Lord. And it's not really enough, though we do this in songs all the time, and we say it with our mouth, I praise you, Lord. But it's kind of weird. What we're actually saying is, I speak highly of you, Lord. What we should really do is, is speak highly of him, actually. It's as if I went to my wife and I got home from a long day at work and I said, I speak highly of you, woman. <laughs> and expected her to somehow be edified and, ooh, my man, that's awesome. <laughs> See how that doesn't really, it's kind of caveman-ish. It doesn't really quite do it, does it? No, I would be expected to say, sweetheart, you look beautiful. You are wonderful. You are so kind. I love your big blue eyes and your little freckles and your hair and your sweet little hands. I love to hear your voice. I love the way that you love me. You are the greatest. That's praise. And that's entering into the courts, the presence of the Lord, is speaking to the Lord in that way. Lord, you are awesome. Lord, you are wonderful and you're so kind. Lord, you're compassionate and merciful and you're a righteous judge and a good God. Just praising them. We see that that sort of attitude was observed in the prayer life of Daniel and David and the apostles and Paul and in Jesus. And something that I discovered this week that I thought was very interesting is it's observable in the corporate prayer life of Israel in the Old Testament. In the corporate prayer life of Israel in the Old Testament, it was so important to them that the Lord be thanked and praised that they assigned certain people that as their job. Certain people in the kingdom, priests, they said to them, this is your job specifically. You are the dude that when Israel gets together to worship the Lord, you lead us in thanking them. It's awesome. First uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 4 says, And he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. So we see that some men were appointed that as their specific task, to thank and praise the Lord. A few verses later in 1 Chronicles 16, 7, Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. David, the king of Israel, signed it to someone and said, Asaph, your job and your kids and your brothers and your sisters and your wife and your cousins, your job, you and your family, is you're to give thanks to the Lord. And when Israel gets together, I want you to lead us in thanking the Lord. I want you to encourage us in that. You're to lead in that way. You know, there's people in this church like that. There's people in this church that when we get together on a Sunday morning and we start to worship, they're just going, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And others are kind of coming in with their coffee and stumbling and bumbling and, oh, man, I couldn't find a parking spot and, oh, it's cold in here and this and that. And they're just going, worship the Lord, praise the Lord. Those are Asaphs. And then when we get together for corporate prayer, there's people that, and whenever we pray corporately, we always start with thanks and praise. Because it's biblical, as we see today. Enter his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And so we start that way, and there's always people that, man, they're just, they just overflow with gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And they've got that same assignment in the body as Asaph had. It's their job to encourage the body in that thankfulness. And in Israel, they assigned it. I had to hire some new staff people, and that's their job. And they get a little name tag, and they come in, and it says, Sean, thank her. And praiser of the Lord. 
again in First Chronicles 16.41. And with them were Heman and that guy and the rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord. First Chronicles 23.30. And they were assigned to stand every morning to thank and to praise the Lord and likewise at the evening. Second Chronicles 31.2 And Hezekiah, the king, appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites by their divisions, each according to his service, both the priests and the Levites, for burnt offerings, for peace offerings, to minister and to give thanks and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. King Hezekiah said, your job is to go to the gates and to stand there and thank and praise the Lord. Isn't that awesome? I love that. I might get fired up and assign that to some of you this morning. Nehemiah 11.17 says, And Mataniah was the leader in the beginning, the thanksgiving at prayer. When they came together for prayer, everybody would look to Mataniah. Mataniah, let it rip. And he would lead them in thanking the Lord. You see, it's so important to the heart of God that Israel caught it. Israel caught it. And so it became important to their heart. And they said, guys, we can't miss this. We can't miss this. So let's assign people that, that this is their job. Now, we know what happens when it becomes a job for us, at least for me. Then it will become kind of religious and sometimes routine-like. We, we need to avoid that. See, the difference between us and them is every single Christian has a spirit of God indwelling them. The Spirit of God overflowing in us. And so we don't need a name tag. We don't need a job assignment. We have the Holy Spirit, and there should be rivers of living waters gushing forth from us of praise and thanksgiving. Amen? Psalm 50, verse 23 says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. And so when we are thankful to the Lord, He is honored in that. What is the flip side of that then? When we grumble and complain, we dishonor the Lord. And I don't know how to say this to you kindly, but if you have got today a bad attitude, it's dishonoring to the Lord. I mean, it's just sin. I'm saying it to myself too. I get a bad attitude sometimes. I need the same rebuke. You see me with a bad attitude, let me know. Remind me of Psalm 50 verse 23. He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors me. The flip side is when we grumble and complain and moan and bemoan, we just dishonor the Lord. It just doesn't honor him. Because you know what? He's good and he's faithful and he's kind and his character is perfect regardless of what's going on around you. And that's what we're to be cognizant of. That's what we're to focus on. That's what we're to be mindful of. In the New Testament, by the way, we are still to offer up sacrifices. Did you know that? Different sacrifices in the Old Testament when they sacrificed the animals for the covering of their sins. Jesus has died as the sacrifice of God once and for all for you and I. And so we don't need to spill blood anymore for the forgiveness of sins because Jesus spilled his that we might be forgiven once and for all. There is no other sacrifice in that way that is needed. But there is a New Testament sacrifice that every Christian is commanded to participate in. And it's found in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15. It says, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. We're to offer up the sacrifice of praise. What is it? It's the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Now, in the very definition of the word sacrifice, it means that it won't always be fun. We won't always feel like it. 
It's not always going to be what we want to do. By the very definition, a sacrifice is costly and sometimes painful. And we sometimes fall into consumer Christianity here in America. And I'm very concerned about it, and you ought to be too. Consumer Christianity, if I come into church and it's just the right temperature, and there's just the right lights, and they play just the right songs at just the right volume, and I've had just enough caffeine, and I'm sitting behind just the right person, and the chairs are just perfect, then I might praise the Lord. The church is not here to please you or entertain you. The church is a vehicle by which God is glorified, and so is your mouth. And by the very fact that it's called a sacrifice means you won't always feel like it. Big deal if you feel like it and you say, praise the Lord. But it is a big deal when it seems like your world is crumbling and you say, praise the Lord. He's faithful and he's good. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. We should always approach God in this way. In sincerity as a response to who he is and what he has done. And when we do that, then we have an effective prayer life. Remember, church, God is calling us to prayer. He's not going to let us go. This is part six today. I have a feeling we're about halfway through it. The Lord's not going to let us go on this thing. He's going to get this church praying. He's going to get this church praying. And so if we're going to pray, we might as well pray effectively. And a wonderful, joyful component of that is thanksgiving. And so if there's a bad attitude in your heart, you need to just let the Lord overturn it. Remember last week when Jesus came in and he overturned the tables and the chairs of the money changers and said, my house shall be called a house of prayer? Sometimes it's that bad attitude that keeps us from effective prayer. R.A. Torrey, who's a, a Bible scholar and author of Days Past, has a book called How to Pray. Very small, very simple, very wonderful. And he has this quote. He makes a profound statement here. He says, doubtless... One reason why so many of our prayers lack power is because we have neglected to return thanks for blessings already received. If anyone were to constantly come to us asking help from us and should never say thank you for the help given, we would soon tire of helping one so ungrateful. Indeed, regard for the one we were helping would hold us back from encouraging such a rank ingratitude. Doubtless, our Heavenly Father, out of wise regard for our highest welfare, oftentimes refuses to answer petitions that we send up to Him in order that we might be brought to a sense of our ingratitude and be taught to be thankful. God is deeply grieved by the thanklessness and ingratitude of which so many of us are guilty. Remember the ten lepers and that only one turned back. So I'm going to give you a homework assignment right now. A homework assignment. We're going to be talking about this in your home group, so you've got to do it. Homework assignment. I want you to get a sheet of paper or your laptop or whatever and just begin to write out what you're thankful for to God. All the things that you have to be thankful for. Forget about the other side of the list. Forget about that side. The reasons you're bummed out. We know it. Same stuff in my life. Get over it. But just begin to type out, I'm thankful for this, Lord. I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for him. I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for that. Just begin to type it out until you're exhausted. Start it today. Start it right now. Start it today. And then work on it throughout your home group. And you're going to get together in your home group. You're going to see how much we have to be thankful for. By the fact that you live in America and on this coastline, you ought to be overflowing with gratitude. I ought to be. I mean, we need to go spend some time in India 
or some radical place like that where there is so much. You probably need to get out and travel a little bit if you're not grateful for where the Lord has placed you at this time. Now apply this as we finish to praying for others. That's been the thrust of our series on prayers, praying for others. Praying for ourselves, that's fine and good. But really what God is calling us to is to be a church that has a passion for and prays for others. And that's going to require a tremendous amount of selflessness. And so there's a prayer focus for you now for yourself. Lord, help me with my selfishness. Take me to a new level of selflessness. And now here's your second homework assignment. Write it down. I want you to read to help cultivate gratitude in your heart. Psalm 90 through Psalm 107. Psalm 90 through Psalm 107. You're going to be talking about those in your home group as well. It's 17 Psalms. It'll probably take you 15 minutes. 20 of you read slow. Read that and just note in there all the praise and the thanksgiving that goes forth to the Lord and all his attributes that are proclaimed. And just ask the Lord to cultivate in you this week a heart of praise, a heart of gratitude, a heart of thankfulness, and then a heart of selflessness. And then what's going to happen is is we're going to start to get a glimpse of that heart of the Lord, a heart like we see in Paul. Remember, Paul, Paul and his prayer for the church in Laodicea and Colossae is what really the Lord used to inspire this series. Remember in Colossians 2.1 where he says, I want you to know how great a struggle I have had on your behalf and for those who haven't seen my face. He's talking about struggling in prayer for people he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know. And what we see in Paul's prayer life is he was thankful to God for what God did in their lives. Please, I'm finishing on this, so just listen to me for a moment. Paul was all the time thanking God for what he did in other people's lives. I'm so selfish, I don't even get there. I've got all these complaints and grumblings and complaints about my own life, and woe is me. It's a challenge for me to even get to that attitude of gratitude and overflow with thankfulness, much less thanking God for what he's doing in others. I mean, I'm so far from this, Lord, help me. But look at Paul. We get a glimpse into his prayer life in the first chapter of several of his epistles. I'll just read a few. First chapter of Romans, he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. First Corinthians chapter 1, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. He's thanking God. He's thousands of miles from these people. Oftentimes when he writes these letters, he's in prison. He's got his own drama. He's got upon him the weight of all the churches. He's got the thorn in the flesh. He's been shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day in the deep. He's been beaten with rods five times. He's been beaten with a cat of nine tails three times. One time he was stoned. I mean, with rocks. And he is over- and he is overflowing. Okay. He is overflowing with gratitude for what God is doing in other people's lives. Again, Ephesians chapter one. He says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. 
Philippians chapter 1, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians chapter 1, we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. In Philemon, it's only got one chapter, verse 4. I thank my God always, making mention of you in my prayers. What an incredible heart. That's a heart that the Lord wants to impart to you and I, individually and corporately. That's what the Lord wants to do in us right now. He wants to so just rattle us out of selfishness that we start thanking God for the fact that it's raining in East Africa right now. That we start praising the Lord that our missionary in China is being blessed by the provision and the power of God. That we rejoice with mighty joy that our Luke, our missionary in India, has been healed by the power of God. That we start rejoicing that the gospel is going forth in Saudi Arabia today. That we start praying for the church that is beginning to blossom in Iraq this morning. That we would have concern for somebody other than ourselves. When we're thankful, it focuses our hearts on God. It cleanses our hearts of cares and fears and earth-centered thoughts. It begets and increases faith. It invokes God's presence and power. And when we're thankful, it thwarts the work of Satan. It just shuts the door. It just cuts them off. When we stop grumbling and complaining and start thanking and praising the Lord for who He is and what He's done. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank You so much for who You are. It just sounds silly thinking of how incredible You are just to simply say thank You. Lord, I ask that if anybody in here has not received you as their Lord and Savior, that you would save them this morning. That you would reveal to them that they're sinners like the rest of us, but that you're a Savior that died on the cross for all of us. And they would say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. Forgive me. Save me. Give me a second chance. Lord, I pray that you would do that today, that you'd save people and that you would overflow their hearts with gratitude for salvation. Lord, restore unto us the joy of thy salvation. Lord, sorry that we don't often rejoice in just the simple fact that we've been saved. Sorry, Lord, that when the music plays and we're supposed to worship you, Jesus, for what you've done and who you are, we stand around with our hands in our pockets. Lord, I'm sorry. I just ask the Holy Spirit, you do a wonderful work in our hearts. You'd bring us out of self-absorption and into just totally abandoned worship before you. Just thanking you for all the good things that you've done.